the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This first letter to Timothy, the Apostle Paul's son in the faith, is an amazing letter of encouragement and of challenges. We're looking at a spirit of dogmatism as we begin our look at 1 Timothy. Join us. Apostle Paul has a deep love and concern for his son in the faith, Timothy. So he sets to writing to him about issues concerning the church and leadership. And right off the bat, here in the first seven verses of chapter one, he deals with the spirit of dogmatism that's prevalent in the day. Quite honestly, nothing's really changed. With more on today's broadcast of Abounding Grace from Reformed Heritage Church, here in San Jose and online at reformedheritage.org. Here's Pastor Gary. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He asked, do you know what we want to accomplish in people? It's not simply to make them Calvinists. Of course, it is to make them Calvinists. But it's not simply to make them Calvinist. It is that they might believe the dispensation of sovereign grace and to teach them how to apply that to their lives. What difference does that make in your life if these things are true? Well, if you really believe that God loved you before the foundation of the world, and that you do not deserve anything from his love. And he demonstrated his love for you by sending his son to die for you on the cross for your sin. That should move you by the power of the Holy Spirit to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And it will cause you to love other people. It will cause you to love the members of this church. And it will cause you to love the world. Paul says, that is the goal of the church and of our instruction. Not just to make these people correct in doctrine, although that is a part of our mission. But the ultimate goal is that people would love each other and love God, of course, above all. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying that what I really want to see in the hearts of my hearers is love. But not just a simple, empty love, not just an emotional thing. I want to see a love for God and for men from a pure heart. It's not a love that loves other people because of what they might get out of those people. It's not a love that loves other people only if they think they are worthy of that love. It is a love that originates from a pure heart, he says. A heart that has been purified by the power of the Holy Spirit in the new birth and regeneration. 
That old heart of stone has been replaced with a heart of flesh that is responsive now to and pliable to the Holy Spirit. So Paul is saying, I want this love not just to be some external thing, not to be a cheap emotional thing. I want it to be the real thing. Because your hearts have been made different by the power of the Holy Spirit using the word of God. And not only a pure heart, but I want you to have a good conscience. And a conscience is something that every human being has as a result of being made in the image of God. Every human being on the face of the earth has the work of the law written upon his heart. So he has a conscience. And what that means is, and you've experienced this, When you do things that are right, you feel good about it. And when you do things that are wrong, you feel guilty. Well, that is your conscience approving you and disproving you. But it's not infallible. If anyone ever says to you, let your conscience be your guide, you just tell them to go jump in the lake. Because your conscience has been confused by sin. Let only the word of God be your guide, beloved. When you were saved, though, your conscience was cleaned up. And now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as you study the Word of God, it has been re-educated. But it's not always reliable. Sometimes it commends you for doing things that are wrong. And sometimes it makes you feel guilty for things you shouldn't feel guilty about. But he says, I am praying that God will use our preaching to give these people a good conscience. A conscience that loves Good. The law of God has been clarified in their hearts now, and they are born again. And now they are Christians. There are more things that will make them feel guilty. Things that made them feel guilty in the past are not going to make them feel guilty anymore because they weren't really wrong. It's going to congratulate them when they do right. You see, this is what Paul is praying This is what I hope preaching will accomplish, Timothy. We don't need all kinds of programs. We don't need anything else but the preaching of the word of God. And if the Holy Spirit uses that, people are going to love each other. People are going to love God. Their hearts are going to be pure. Their conscience is going to be good. And they're going to follow their conscience because it will be based on the word of God. And they are going to have a sincere faith, not a fake faith, but a sincere faith that rests upon Christ alone for salvation. So I ask you, what has the preaching of the gospel done in your life? Has it made you a Calvinist? Well, I I hope it has. Because Calvinism is nothing more than the biblical Christianity in its purest human expression. So I hope it has. But if all that the preaching of the gospel has done for you is to change your doctrines, your life and your attitude is going to be ugly without love. And rather than turning people on to Christ and his word, you're going to turn people off. Has the preaching of the gospel made you a loving person? Do you love God with a pure heart? Do you love the church? Do you love the world? Do you have a pure heart, not a perfect heart? 
You don't get that until you die and enter heaven. And do you have a good conscience? Is your conscience being educated in the word of God? Do you feel guilty when you should feel guilty? And do you quit doing what makes you feel guilty? And do you feel good when you do what is right? And then keep on doing what is right. And is your faith sincere? That is, is it authentic? Is it a gift of the Holy Spirit? That is, are you resting upon Christ alone and nothing in yourself for salvation? Paul goes back to the subject in verse 6 and he says, For some men strain from these things, strain from the administration of God, which is by faith, the goal of our instruction, which is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. For some men, not necessarily contradicting doctrines here, but straying from these doctrines and emphasizing things that originate in their own mind and not in the word and have turned aside to fruitless discussion. That is, these men, that's all these men really want to talk about. That is all their followers want to talk about, which are the things they make up, these new ideas, these innovations. And once you begin to innovate You can't stop. It's like socialism or bureaucratic government. Once you control one area of life, you've got to control all the other areas of life to keep that area under control. And then you have to control others until bureaucracy leads to socialism and socialism leads to tyranny. Well, that is the same way it is with false doctrine. Once you start falsifying or innovating, you can't stop. You've got to keep changing things until the gospel you preach is beyond recognition. And you will stray or wander off from these great emphasis and you turn aside to fruitless discussion. And all you want to talk about are these innovations and allegories. People do this all the time. I've been in situations where people just want to talk about allegories, particularly when it comes to dispensationalism and hyperpreterism. And I have to ask... What is the fruit of all of this? What is the ethical implication of believing these things? And of course, there is no ethical implication. It was all simply to satisfy their curiosity. They want to know where I stand so they might be able to sway me. And if I were to accept what they are saying, I must be pretty fruitless too, right? But that is how all of these innovations spread. A person thinks he's an intellectual and he wants to impress you with his intellect and he starts innovating on a doctrine. And if I can understand it, hey, this is pretty heady stuff, so I must be pretty smart, right? This breeds arrogance. It breeds pride. And it is absolutely fruitless. It produces nothing in a person's life. And Paul says in verses 6 and 7 together, For some men strain from these have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law. In other words, they want a position, wishing like crazy, wishing like crazy that they could be known as teachers of the law, experts in the law of God. And they most certainly are not. Even though they don't understand what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions, it says. That is, they are out of their depth. They want to impress you with their intellect. 
But when they start innovating scripture, they are out of their depth and they're sinking fast for they have no understanding of what they are saying or what they are losing. How true is that today? Wanting to be teachers of the law, wanting that reputation. I'm an expert on the Bible. You know, you can go to YouTube, but really, I don't suggest you go to YouTube. All these types of hypocrites can be found there and other places on the Internet. Every now and then I come across these guys and they do nothing but raise my blood pressure because they have no idea of what they are talking about. They are out of their depth and they just rattle on nonsense. Now I said all that to make this application of the sermon. The title is A Spirit of Dogmatism. Now, don't answer out loud, but when you saw the title of this sermon, did you assume that I would be criticizing something or that I was going to criticize something? Do you think I was going to criticize the spirit of dogmatism or that I was going to encourage the spirit of dogmatism? Well, it all depends on what you mean by the word, actually. Historically, the word dogmatic has a positive and a negative meaning. And all you have to do is go to Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary, which I use almost exclusively anymore. The word dogmatic means to assert with authority. There's nothing negative about that, right? If you know something to be true, and if something is true, and it is based upon the word of God, you assert it authoritatively. So the word dogmatic historically meant to assert something with authority. But also historically, it has a negative meaning. To arrogantly assert an opinion. Now that's true. Some people throughout the history of the church have been really cocky. and They have asserted things they thought were true in such a manner that it turns everyone away. So you want to be dogmatic, but then again, you don't want to be dogmatic. You want to be dogmatic if what you believe is true and you want to speak as it is, as if it is true, but you don't want to do it in such a harsh and opinionated manner. But let's go to the American Heritage Dictionary of the English Language, a modern dictionary, and understand there is no such thing, beloved, as a neutral dictionary. Anywhere in the world. All dictionaries represent the people that define those words and their attitude. And the purpose of the humanistic movement is to change the meanings of words. And if they can change the meaning of words, they can greatly influence culture toward their worldview. So let me read to you the definition of the word dogmatic from the American Heritage Dictionary of the English Language. Now, Noah Webster said... The positive sense was to assert with authority. The modern dictionary says dogmatism means, quote, characterized by an authoritative, arrogant assertion of unproved and unprovable principles, end quote. Now, why did they change the meaning of the word? That is not what it has meant for centuries in the English language. Why did they change it? So that the only meaning of dogmatism is a negative, ugly thing. 
It was to intimidate you. These guys are relativists. They believe everything is relative. There is your truth and there is my truth. You might think something is good while I think it is evil. And of course, there are no absolutes. So they want to intimidate you from believing there are absolutes. But there are some things that are absolutely invariably false and always invariably evil. And the passage of time does not make something false true, nor does it make something evil good. Time hasn't changed any of these things. There are still absolutes. Homosexuals are still perverts. And abortion is not a choice, it is murder. And looting is not peaceful protesting, it is theft. And shutting down an entire economy is, ter- is tyranny, no matter how much Emperor Newsom tries to twist it. We are not being mean and opinionated with these ideas. We are simply asserting with authority what God says is absolute. And the humanists do not want you to say it. They want you to feel intimidated so that you are hesitant about saying homosexuality is a gross sexual perversion. And if they can make us hesitant, if they can make you think, well, maybe in some way this person was born this way. If they can make you think any of those things so you back off from moral absolutes, they've got you, my friends. When you accept and believe the biblical system of truth and the biblical teachings of the word of God, you must have a healthy and holy dogmatic spirit. You don't say, well, these truths in the Bible, they're true for me, but you may have another set of truths. Francis Schaeffer used to say about truth and error, truth is true truth. You don't have a truth and I have a truth. Truth is true truth. And that, what is, that is what is taught in the word of God. Now, I'm going to read a few paragraphs taken from a great article written back in the early part of the 20th century called The Dogmatic Spirit by one of the greatest scholars of all time, Benjamin Warfeld. And it's found in his book, Selected Shorter Writings, Volume 2. Please listen carefully because this is one of the most important things I will tell you. He says, what characterizes a dogmatic spirit in a good sense? Four things. Number one, an authoritative way of presenting biblical truth. You don't do it in an embarrassing fashion. You don't do it in a way you are ashamed. You assert the truth, not in some kind of harsh, opinionated way, but by saying, this is God's truth, what he has revealed to us, end quote. Secondly, a healthy dogmatic spirit includes an unwillingness to modify biblical truth to fit in with the current opinions, end quote. No bending. Truth is non-negotiable. You don't change anything to make it more acceptable. Third, a dogmatic spirit includes an insistent insistence on what seems to many minor and non-essential points of doctrine, end quote. Have you ever heard anyone say, well, we should accept the essential things of the Bible, but the non-essential things, oh, they're not really that important. When people say that, 
It is an arrogant, high-minded way of treating Scripture. There is nowhere in the Bible that God said, okay, here are the essentials. Be concerned with these. Here are the non-essentials, which are optional. But God did say to Second Timothy, said in Second Timothy, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. All Scripture is profitable. That is, everything in the Bible is essential for something. There are no non-essentials that you don't have to worry about. Now, beloved, that is dogmatic, or that is dogmatic. It is authoritative, because you cannot negotiate with the Word of God. And fourth, a dogmatic spirit thinks in terms of a system of doctrine, and by determining the value of a truth, by its relation of the whole body of revealed truth, rather than as an isolated doctrine, in quote. In other words, when you accept the system of truth in Scripture, you will be able to critique people and events and ideas, not just because it is contradictory to one particular isolated doctrine, because it is contrary To the whole ball of wax. Let me give you one example. Paul and Peter were apostles. And they both believed the same things. They both believed in predestination. They believed in justification by faith in Christ alone. And their doctrines were identical because they were Holy Spirit inspired apostles. But in the book of Galatians. Paul publicly rebuked the apostle Peter. Because his lifestyle contradicted his doctrine. Which was that he would not eat with non-Jewish Christians. Now, why did Paul do that? He knew that he and Peter believed in the same things. But he was evaluating Peter in light of the whole system. Peter, by this act in your life, you have rejected the system of doctrine contained in the Holy Scripture... And thus, you are teaching people to reject it. The Holy Catholic Church is gone if it is only Jewish Christians that you feel you can eat with. The doctrine of justification in Christ alone is done away with because then there's really nothing you can do so to, the, to protect the church from those Judaizers and those legalists. So what Paul is saying, and what looks like a minor thing, though it wasn't minor is he is criticizing Peter because Paul is using the whole system of doctrine. He believes to show Peter that he is out of accord with the whole thing. So Paul takes things that people would put in a category of non-essential to say, I'm criticizing this person. Not in light of one little doctrine but in light of the whole revelation of God contained in Holy Scripture. And beloved, I could give you many more examples, but we just don't have time. But that is what the spirit of dogmatism is. And you're not being mean because you're not expressing your own opinion. You are convinced that what the Bible says is true and you don't negotiate it or compromise it. I want to conclude with this great quote from Robert Dabney about teaching false doctrine he says and with reference to the revealed doctrines of the word we must resolve to surrender surrender nothing 
and to concede nothing of righteous convictions concerning God's truth. We must resolve to yield or bend to no falsehood and to conceal no biblical truth or principle, but ever to assert God's word with such endurance, self-sacrifice, and fortitude as God's providence gives us. Resolve that no losses, no threats, no penalties shall ever make you yield one jot or tittle of what is true and just. End quote. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website and learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866. 866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.